Bibles. <laughs> Sorry about that. To Luke chapter 2. And we'll pick up where we left off this morning. If you're looking in the Pew Bibles, that is page 857. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin in, actually in verse 7, because that's where we left off this morning, and I purposely did not read that this morning. So Luke 2, beginning in verse 7, down to verse 20, this is the word of God. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, our God, we do thank you so much for your word and this wonderful historic account of the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time to your lowly shepherds. Lord, how precious a moment, Lord, when we think of Mary and Joseph, when we think of the whole scene around them. Lord, in some ways so rough and rugged, in other ways so sweet and tender. Lord, we know that the meaning behind it is more profound than we can even begin to imagine. And we pray that it would be that profundity, that glorious truth of the incarnation designed to save sinners like us would bear upon our hearts tonight. Lord, please speak to us through your word as you have already spoken. And now through the preaching of your word, please send your Holy Spirit in a special way to help all of us tonight as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So much has already led up to this event that we call the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to celebrate tonight. You know why you're here tonight. Uh, you're here to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ, uh, the child. And so I'm going to try to keep it simple tonight, yet it is such a profound truth that it, that may be a little bit difficult. I don't want us to miss how significant everything about this is 
And I don't want to miss how vital it is for all of us to understand how this personally involves us as individuals. What I would like to do by the help of the Holy Spirit and through God's word is to increase the joy of those of you who do trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, which I trust is the majority of the people gathered here tonight. But if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted in Jesus, my desire is that through the word and through the Holy Spirit, that this would cause you to long for him, to long to know the Savior. That it would be the love of God in this event, in this provision for sinners, the love of God that would compel greater joy for God's people and would instill a deep longing for those who are not yet submitted to the Lord Jesus. And I say that it would be God's love that would inspire you because this is all an act of God's love. One of the most popular passages in scripture is John 3.16. That kind of summarizes what's going on here. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so it's a great expression of God's love for sinners like us. Sinners, sinners were loved by God before time, but now we see in earnest this plan unfolding, the incarnation, that mysterious that mysterious event when the second person of the Trinity takes on human flesh in the womb of Mary. We need to understand, at least to a degree, how significant, how precious that truth is. Not be afraid to call it a doctrine. It is a doctrine that has everything to do with salvation. So the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh. Why did it have to be such a person as Christ? The Heidelberg Catechism tries the best it can to ask the right questions and answer questions regarding this very issue. And, and while I know that a catechism, catechism questions and answers may not be the most warm and fuzzy Christmas Eve message, I do want to read some of the question and answers because I think they're significant. I think they explain things as best they can based on what we know from Scripture. And so I'll read the questions and then I'll read the answer. The first question in this section is, since according to God's righteous judgment we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? The answer is God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, full payment must be made either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No, in the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Why must he be a true and righteous man? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. And then why must he at the same time be true God? 
he must be true God, so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteous, us righteousness in life. And so the incarnation, the coming of the second person of the Trinity in the flesh, so essential, essential to our salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in England. He lived in the 1900s, died in 1981. He was pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, and he has a work called God the Son. And he's very concerned that the doctrine of the Incarnation be understood as central to true Christian doctrine, to true saving faith. And I want to quote him as well. He writes, Notice what I am saying. I am not saying that when Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem, a new personality came into being. That is not true. That is rank heresy. And this morning I quoted Athanasius, who, who fought against that very kind of heresy. So he's saying that a new personality did not come into being. That is not true. That is rank heresy. The doctrine of the Incarnation says that the eternal second person in the Blessed Trinity entered into time and into the world, took unto himself a human nature, was born as a babe, lived a life as a man, and appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh, quotes Romans 8, 3 and 4. Now there I am making the most vital statement of all, to safeguard against errors. The essence of the statement is that the one who was born was not coming into being, was not starting his existence as a person. No, it was this eternal person, the Son of God, who now assumed this form and entered the life of man in the world. The devil is concerned about nothing more than to lead people astray with regard to the person and work of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's true. If the devil can distort the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, distort the truth of the incarnation, distort anything to do with the virgin birth and the way that God mapped out this plan of salvation for us, he's gotten a great gain. If he can convince people to create their own Jesus or a Jesus that's anything less than scripture, he's made great gains. And if you have embraced any of that, then I'm very concerned about where you are with your relationship with God. Because understanding who the person of Jesus Christ is and his work is essential to our life now and our life eternally. And so we come to the point where, in earnest, this plan of salvation comes to bear on history. And so the incarnation nine months ago, and now the birth of Christ, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What a humble birth, shockingly inconvenient for the king of heaven taking on human flesh. And yet that's where the Savior is born. But our attention is immediately shifted in the Gospel of Luke to a field nearby, nearby Bethlehem. Some unassuming shepherds, lowly shepherds, probably anticipating at some point the coming of Messiah. They were 
apparently the ones who were raising sheep for the slaughter. And the whole issue of slaughter, especially the Passover lamb in Scripture, is to point them to one final full sacrifice that would atone for sin. But every good Jew of the day, even if you were a lowly shepherd, you understood that one day a Messiah would come. And, and whether they could ever make the connection between the sacrificed lamb and the person that was to come is unclear and very unlikely. Nonetheless, they would have had some form of anticipation. But here they are tending their sheep, minding their own business, and then all of a sudden an angel appears in their presence, surrounded by the glory of the Lord, makes an astounding proclamation, I bring you good news of great joy. And I love the fact that Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, they, they, the angel says, Behold, I evangelize to you great joy. The good news, the gospel, angel proclaiming from heaven. The Savior is born. That which is conceived in the womb of Mary has come to full term and that birth has happened and that changes everything. Salvation has come. But brace yourself. When you find this Savior, it's going to be in an astoundingly humble situation. Very odd setting. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We already looked at some of this this morning, but if you think about these shepherds looking for the Savior, you wouldn't think, would you, that they would find the Savior in a cave meant for animals that had been prepared by Joseph and Mary because there was no room in the inn. To be the birth, the birthing place of the King of Heaven. And that he would be lying in a manger for his crib. It really is truly astounding, isn't it? When you think about it. But that's what they'll find. And then, then suddenly they're backed up by a vast multitude of the heavenly host. The skies open. It, when the angel comes... First, there's, there's an appearance of glory, but then the whole heavens open up and the heavenly hosts, multitudes upon multitudes of God's warring, powerful angels that do his bidding start declaring the glory of God. And that's what this is all about, ultimately. The salvation that we own, the coming of Christ is all ultimately about the glory of God. And yet the benefit for us in our salvation is immeasurable. But glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And then they gradually leave. And this experience, I don't know about you, but this experience would have laid me out But they've already been comforted by the angel. Do not be afraid. And they understood that God was speaking to them through the angel. And they were comforted. And right away they decide to make haste and go looking. They have the coordinate. They know they have to go to the city of David and find this baby. This thing, we're told, 
they said, that was reported to them. Notice that they don't say, let's go see if this is true. No, let's go find this that God has told us is true. The message sinks in and they go and to no surprise, they discover the Christ child with Mary and Joseph. This is not just a wonderful, warm story. It is that. No one can deny the beauty of the story of the birth of the Christ child. However, it's much more than that. This profound truth demands attention. Demands everyone's attention. And the message is to the whole world. That, that peace has been made with sinful man and God through Jesus. Demands the attention of everyone. And right now, all around the world, there are people celebrating Christian, all th- Christmas all around our country. People celebrating Christmas. But where is their attention? Where is our attention? It's not to criticize all the the fun and frivolity and all the things that come with our traditions, but, but has the Christ gotten, really gotten our attention? What does the Lord have to say about baby Jesus? If you really want to know, you can read about it all the way from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. But for tonight, what did the angels say? This event, the angels, the angels explain what's going on here. This is the Christ. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one who's come to deliver the people of God. This is he. What is his life? What is his mission all about? His mission is designed to answer the most important question for all of us. Do we have peace with God? That's what the angels are saying has come with Christ. The ability to have peace with God. Listen to the angels. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to know to have life and to have joy and to have peace with God. And he's come in the person of this baby. His name is Jesus because he will save us from our sins. His name is Christ because he's the long-awaited Messiah. He is the son of the living God taking on human flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us. That's who we find here, and he is the answer to that all-important question, how can we have peace with God? But we know full well, if we know the rest of the gospel, that it takes far more than simply, if I can even use that word regarding the incarnation, simply the incarnation. It takes more than just the birth of the Christ child. It takes more than him living the perfect life 
salvation would be impossible without those things, but we, we know that without the sacrifice, the willing sacrifice of this very one, there would be no salvation. And so as we look into the manger, we see so much more and we see what's ahead. And we can't help but look at baby Jesus and see that the cross is ahead. A sword will pierce Mary's heart. And each one of us, when we read the gospel and we get to the passion, our hearts are pierced. And then indeed Jesus' side is pierced once he makes that ultimate sacrifice. And salvation is bound up in all of that, but we also know that that's not the end either because we know that death can't hold him. He conquers death and he ascends to the right hand of glory. And that, that this, this baby, once in a manger, is now reigning and ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords forever to be praised. That's this Jesus. But it's coming back to as we discovered his person had to be one that could satisfy the wrath that we deserved so that we could have peace with God. Again, the act of profoundest love on God's part. John puts it this way, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Now I know that I've just taken you from the cradle to the cross and I've taken you beyond. So we recognize that our Savior lives now and he's still at work saving souls. And the only way, again, to have peace with God is to know him, to trust him, and to submit to him. And if you don't know him, you don't have peace with God. You're, you're still restless. You may not know it. Your soul is restless because you were made originally to have communion with God. And if you don't have communion, if you don't have a relationship with your creator, you're, first of all, obviously not at peace with him you're still under his wrath that we all deserve for our sins but know it or not your soul isn't really satisfied your soul is churning your soul know it or not is longing and will never be satisfied will always be restless until you find your peace with god through christ but if you know him you know what it's like to be reconciled to God. You know what it's like to have peace with God. To have communion with your creator. To have peace in this life, unsettling as life can be sometimes, at the core of our being in Christ, we have that peace. And we can lie down at night at peace. And we can lie down tonight after all of our Christmas celebrations, which are still to come, Tomorrow and the next day and the next day, we can lie down in peace knowing that we're right with God and have true peace that we will be with him for eternity. No longer longing, no longer agitated, 
but at peace with God now and forever. May God the Father's love be exalted as we celebrate Jesus Christ's birth. And may it be truly and profoundly revealed to each one of us the true beauty of Christ and the true beauty of Christmas through the work of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word. May your joy increase. May your longing for him increase. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good and so loving that we can hardly understand it. But Lord, your word is truth and you've spoken to us. And we receive that truth and believe that truth because of the illuminating work of you, Holy Spirit. May these things be burned in our hearts tonight, that our joy may be full. And Lord, that our longing for you would increase. If we know you, that we would long more and more to know you better and to be with you. If we're not right with you yet, Lord, may we long to know the Savior Jesus. Help us, we pray. And we come to you in his name. Amen.